Hey everybody, welcome to Grace Life. So good to see you guys. Would you help me welcome all of our first time guests, both here in the room as well as those of you online. Awesome. Hey, before we get into the message, something I'm really excited about, we've been working on for about a year. Uh, a year ago, I was reading a book by a friend of mine on prayer, and in the, the book he wrote about how they had started a 24-7 prayer movement, bringing Christians and churches together to pray for their city and their state. And the results were astounding. They went from like 49th and 50th and almost everything to even first. And to go, man, that, that's just powerful. So I started to feel kind of a, a little guilty, honestly, maybe compelled by God to, to think about, should we do this here in Columbia? So over 2022, we got together with a few other pastors and a few other churches and talked about the possibility. And the cool thing that happened in November, right before Thanksgiving, uh, we got together with other pastors. We, we made it a formal invitation to come out and hear about it. And to our knowledge, uh, everybody who was in the room said it's the largest gathering of pastors ever in Columbia. Because we're, we're kind of like, yeah, we're, we're kind of like the NFL like we play the same game, but we don't always want to be on the same. Anyway, I'm just kidding. Um, and, and so to get 120 pastors and churches together around one thing was really powerful. And the result was that we did finally launch and are now a part of the 24-7 prayer movement here in Columbia, South Carolina. And uh, because they heard about that, Greenville and Charleston is going to start this year as well. And before you know it, we're going to see God moving in our world in a different way. So look, here's how this works. What happens is each church will take a calendar day of the month. For Grace Life, it is January 15th, February 15th, March 15th, and you, you see how that goes, right? And so we have different churches uh, on different days, and in some cases we have multiple churches on each day. And so what we want to do for those 24 hours is we want to have multiple people praying all day long. And so we already have our day covered one time over. The 24 hours was first covered by our prayer team uh, without even finding out that, that anybody else wanted to be a part of it. What I want to do right now is invite you to be a part of it as well. And so we're going to put a QR code on the screen, and you can simply click that link, and it'll take you to sign up. And uh, the way it works is really, really easy. We have a half-hour slots, so 48 people for a day, half-hour slots. You can take two slots if you want. And we're going to give you seven prayer points because you may say, how can I pray for a half-hour or an hour? That just seems like a lot. Well, the seven prayer points that we use, uh, by the time you spend like three or four point, uh, minutes on each one, you're going to be done with the half hour and think, where did the time go? So I promise you it'll actually be pretty easy. And so you may say, hey, I'll give up my lunch break or I'll, I'll, I'll do this before I get up in the, or get up earlier that one day, whatever it is for you. So I want to invite you, would you join us? Would you help us bring God into our city, our, our government, our schools, our jobs, our communities? Um, because I don't know about you, but I believe God's the only answer. Amen. Amen. 2023, yeah. 2022 years of humans. Why don't we see if we can change our lives this year? All right, well, everybody, with that being said, we're in a series that we started last week. It's a series to kind of uh, kick off the year and hopefully get us moving the right direction. As you can tell from around me, the series is simply called Mindset. And uh, because my son got married last weekend, I didn't get to preach the, the uh, first message in the series. So we had one of our army chaplains, Greg McVeigh. He preached and did a great job. If you missed it, I want to encourage you to go get it online. Because he laid a foundation that I'm going to build on in three different ways over the next three weeks. And the foundation that he gave us was very, very simple. There is a battle for your lives taking place in your mind. If you were here, you had to wrestle with that thought last week. Do you believe that? Do you agree with that? There is a battle for your lives taking place in your mind. It is true. He gave the proof for that. I'm not going to do that again. And if that's true, then what that means is our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Who agrees with that one? 
Life's always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Have you ever woken up and thought this is going to be an absolutely horrible day and you were proved right? I mean, come on, that's kind of how that goes, right? Our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. So there's a truth we need from Scripture about our strongest thoughts. And so for this series, we're actually going to have a theme passage. What that means is I'm going to remind you of it each week. Greg preached it last week. I won't preach the whole passage, but I am going to remind us every single week the whole series is built upon this one important biblical truth. It comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Simple thing we need to get there is we're in a war. We are in a war, but it's not just what's happening in the natural around us. It goes on to explain actually our weapons of, of our warfare, they have divine power. Spiritual power to destroy strongholds. And we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. How? By taking captive every thought to obey Christ. Because our life is always moved in the direction of our strongest thoughts. If our strongest thoughts are not in agreement with what God would say, then we need to take those thoughts captive to get them in line with what God would say. That's the only way we're ever going to change our lives. And so that's the goal for the series and what we're going to do for today and the other two parts is we're going to look at three mindsets that rule our lives that we need to take captive because these three mindsets, until we take them captive, they have us captive. You guys with me? Today I want to start with a very important mindset and that is the one that says I can't change. So many of us believe I can't change. I just heard somebody on the front row go, ah. <laughs> my wife and I have uh, the story uh, that we, we stand behind of having the worst honeymoon experience of any couple ever. Um, if you think you had a worse honeymoon than us, you can take us out for lunch, and whoever wins, whoever truly has the worst story does not have to pay. So bring your wallet. So what happened is about 13 years in, we said, we want to redo our honeymoon. We're going to go to the Caribbean. We'd always dreamed of going to the Caribbean, kind of wanted a, a renewed honeymoon sort of experience. And, and we actually had a really great trip. Uh, it was a great time. It was a good second honeymoon, so to speak, or in our case, first honeymoon. And uh, what made it uh, so great was everything was, God had done so much work there, but there was one problem with this particular trip. And that is that when we put our swimsuit on to go to the beach and happened to walk by a mirror, we, whoa, whoa, what, what has happened? Some of you have known that experience when you're in your late 30s and you put on a swimsuit and look in the mirror. It's not exactly what you hoped for. More importantly, it's not what you actually believed. But pictures don't lie, right? And so here's the funny thing about when you do this in your 30s. See, when you're in your late 20s, you stand in front of a mirror and you suck it in. And you're like, I'm good with that. When you're in your late 30s and you suck it in, you're just back to where you were in your late 20s. And now you're not good with that. And so we were so frustrated with how we looked in the swimsuit, we said, we're going to do something about this. We will be different the next time we come back to the Caribbean. And I won't speak for my wife because I want to have a happy lunch with her today, but I'll speak for myself. And I can assure you, when I went back to the Caribbean, I was different. I've had multiple trips to the Caribbean, and I've gained at least 10 pounds over the last 10 years, so I am different. And uh, anyway, the last time we went, we were so frustrated that the difference was going the wrong direction. Every single time we said, we're done, we're done, we're going to do something about this. So exactly one year ago, January of 2022, my wife decided we should join this Facebook group that everybody else has been a part of on how to uh, lose weight and exercise. Like every day it tells you what you can eat and every day it gives you an exercise thing you can go along with. 
And while I'm happy to say that after an entire year of this weight loss program, I have not gained a pound. <laughs> there you go. And when you have stories like this, you find yourself believing kind of what I, I find myself believing sometimes, and that's that I just can't change this part of my life. Like, I'm just stuck. And before I go any further, I just want to give a little disclaimer. I am sharing this story to be vulnerable and to connect with you, not soliciting dieting and exercise advice in the lobby <laughs> when this message is over. Just keep that in mind. But here's what I know. I know that uh, we all have something that we've wanted to change, we've tried to change, and then get, didn't get the results we wanted. I was just talking with a friend of mine about two weeks ago as the year was kicking off and asking if he was doing New Year's resolutions, and he was uh, rather uh, not happy and said, no, I'm not doing them, I hate them, they're stupid, they never work. I'm like, okay. And the reality is most of us have had that experience, and because we have tried and tried and failed and failed, we now have the mindset, I can't change. But here's the thing, I, I'm willing to bet every one of us has something we hate about ourselves that wish we, we wish we could change. Or we have something that someone else hates about us that we need to change because it's hurting our lives. Maybe it's an internet addiction. Maybe it's a drinking habit. Maybe it's an eating habit. Maybe it's a, a security struggle. Maybe it's a control issue. I, I'm just going to stop the list because I see some of you twitching. But here's what we do need to understand and this is why we must take the mindset captive, I can't change. Because before we're ever going to be able to change anything, anything we want to change must begin with the genuine belief that we can. I know that's obvious. Anything we want to believe must begin with the mindset that we can. The genuine belief that we can change. So I want to show you what the Bible tells us about our ability to change. And it turns out the reason we struggle with changing and some of us believe we can't change is because the Bible actually affirms we, we struggle here. We have a huge difficulty with making a difference sometimes. I'm going to show you this out of Romans chapter 7. Maybe some of you have heard of this passage that says, For I do not understand my own actions. Can I get an amen, somebody? I don't understand my own actions. I do not do what I want. Matter of fact, I do the very thing I hate. Doesn't make any sense to me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Because I have the desire to do what is right, but I just, just it doesn't work. I don't have the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want. But the evil I do not want. That's what I keep on doing. And what is so remarkable about this passage is that it was written by what I think, or who I think, was one of the most changed individuals ever in human history. This was written by the Apostle Paul. If you don't know his story, let me just kind of paint the picture for you. He used to be a guy named Saul. And when he was a guy named Saul, he hated Christians. He hated them to the core. He was becoming a Jewish leader of the Jewish faith, and he was rising quickly. He was the next superstar. What that meant is that as he continued to climb the ladder, that he was going to become more and more powerful. He was going to become more and more wealthy, more and more influential, all because of the greatness of the Jewish faith. But suddenly there are these people who are following Jesus, these little Christians, 
so to speak. And he rejects the idea that this Jesus guy was genuine. He rejects the idea that this Jesus guy ever was raised from the dead or this Jesus guy was the son of God. That is all garbage to him because what happens is the Christians are making the ladder. He's climbing shorter by leaving the Jewish faith to go and follow Jesus. He hates them to the core. So much so that he puts them in prison or even has them killed. And then one day, this guy named Saul meets Jesus for real in a supernatural experience, knocked to the ground, blinded for three days. Here's Jesus from heaven talking to him. Radical change in his life. He goes from being Saul to being the apostle Paul. He goes from wanting to kill Christians to being one of them. He goes from chasing them down to leading them and leading the way, going from town to town, sometimes from prison cell to prison cell, preaching for the name of Jesus. He was beaten to preach what he used to try to stop. He was stoned and left for dead for preaching what he used to hate. Can we talk about somebody who has truly changed? And yet he wrote this after all of that. Because what he understood that you and I can identify with today is you can be saved you can be going to heaven. You can have a whole new purpose for life. But there can still be things inside of you that you can't stand. And you seem to be powerless to do anything about. And that's where he was. Even though he was, was going to go on to become one of the greatest leaders of Christianity, wrote the majority of the Testament, and even though at the time he's writing this, he has been radically changed and is going to heaven. He still is saying, woe is me, I hate what's inside of me. And I, I just can't seem to do what I want to do. And I, I, I have a desire to do better, but it never works out. Come on, anybody with Paul today? Well, the good news is that Paul is also the one that figured out how to actually change. And he wrote the answer for that as well. If you're hopping around the Bible with me, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4. And in verse 17, he explains why we struggle to change, but he explains how we can finally he says this, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk, must no longer, that kind of sounds like we're talking about change, doesn't it? Must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Let me just stop and translate that because if you're new to church, that sentence maybe didn't make a, a lot of sense because you may not hear the word Gentiles much and understand what that means. When we read the Bible, the word Gentiles really means those who are not God's people. The Jews were God's people. The Gentiles were not. And so when we read the Bible today, the easiest way for us to make sense of it is anytime you see the word Gentile, put non-believer in there. Somebody who hasn't met God, somebody who's not trying to follow God, somebody who's not trying to become more like God. And so what Paul is saying is, look, you must no longer. You must change. The Gentiles do not change the unbelievers don't change. People who have never met Jesus don't change because they have no motivation to change. They have no desire to change. They continue to live the way they've always lived, doing it the way they've always done it because it makes sense. It's easy for them. And the reason they don't make any change is because they're trapped in their thinking. In their thinking, life is perfectly fine. They don't know Jesus. They don't even know what's wrong. Then the futility of their thinking, their thoughts are what's leading them astray. They don't change. And he says, very simply, you must no longer stay the same. You must no longer stay the same, trapped in that old thinking. So he goes on to tell us, but that's not the way you learned Christ. You didn't learn Christ to stay the way you used to be. That's what he means by that. You actually learned that you can change because of Jesus. Assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him, he puts a disclaimer. You need to know Jesus. Everything I'm saying is based on you need to have an experience with Jesus. You need to have him as your Lord and Savior, as your King. And before we leave today, anybody, if that's not where you are, I'm going to give you a chance to change that. But that's who he's talking to. 
assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught in him, then here's the answer. Put off your old self, put on the new self that is made to be more like him. Put off the old self, put on the new self created in the likeness of God. And what that is telling us is that anybody who has met Jesus personally, anybody who has made Jesus their king, anybody who does call on Jesus their Lord and Savior, what he's telling us is that there is an expectation that you and I will change. And there is the real possibility that you and I will change. Because if we've met Jesus, then the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of Christ lives inside of us. We have the power to change. I'm not getting a lot of amens on this one here. The expectation to change and the real possibility to change is ours in Jesus. Now, how many of you noticed when we put that on the screen, there were a whole lot of ellipses? That's all those three little dots that tell you we're leaving things out. Did y'all notice that? There were a lot of those. And the reason for that is because the first time I showed you the passage, I just wanted you to see the big picture. We put off our old self. We can put on our new self. And the ultimate goal of our new self is to be more like God. What I left out, what all those three dots were hiding was what Paul told us on how to put off the old self, how to put on the new self. Now let me show you the passage. He says, so put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt. Okay, you're right. It's, it belongs to the way I used to live. And of course it's corrupt. It's not like God. Something is wrong with it. So how do I put it off because it is corrupt? How, Paul? Through deceitful desires. Deceitful desires. What that means is that we have wrong thoughts and those wrong thoughts are not true. And so they lead us to want things, desires that are lying to us because deceitful thoughts are leading us to desires that are corrupt, not like God, but they lie to us. And so we have thoughts in our head that lead to desires like I, I'm going to follow a passion I know I shouldn't have. Do you know how many times I talk to somebody and they say, well, I know the Bible says, but. And so many times we're following a passion because we believe that it'll actually fulfill us. Don't raise your hands, but I think every one of us has the story of, well, I tried that and I did that and I did it again and it still left me empty. Or we have the deceitful thought leads to the desire of something like, I don't, I don't want to forgive them. I'm not going to forgive them because they hurt me really badly and they don't deserve forgiveness. Or we have a deceitful thought of worrying because it's the lie. I need to control everything because I'm the only one that cares and I'm the only one that knows how to get it right. It's deceitful thoughts that lead to desires that are contrary to what God wants for us. But he continues Put off the old self that's based upon those deceitful thoughts and desires. And put on the new, I'm sorry, keep, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. And what's so beautiful about the way he wrote it was not just that it was like really good grammar, but that he wrote it in the order we need to grasp it. He didn't say, put off the old self, put on the new self, and here's maybe how you can go about it. He literally said, put off the old self, by dealing with the deceitful thoughts in your head. Get rid of the lies. Be renewed in your mind because you need truth. If you get rid of the lies, if you replace it with truth, you will result in the new self. In other words, sometimes we simply try to get from point A to point D without the steps we need in the middle. We, we just try to cut to an end of something and we don't realize the process matters. And in this case, if you want to be a new self, don't just say today I'm going to be better. Paul has made it very, very clear. The struggle, why I do the things I don't want to do, why don't I do what I want to do is because the thoughts in our head are lying to us. 
Our life is always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And when those thoughts are contrary to God's thoughts, well, then we're off the rails. So put off the old self because it's corrupt based upon thoughts that are not true. They're deceitful. They're lies from the kingdom of darkness. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind with truth. Take every one of these old lying thoughts captive, replace it with what is actually true, and you won't even have to try to be a new you because that's the result. You will be a new self. You see, change starts in the mind by discovering and taking captive deceitful thoughts about you, others, and God. Change starts in the mind by discovering and taking captive deceitful thoughts about yourself, others, and God, and replacing it with truth about yourself, others, and God. If I could quote the famous theologian Albert Einstein, you cannot solve a problem with the same mind, mindset that created it. You cannot solve a problem with the same mind that created it. The thinking that lied to you that got you where you are will not get you somewhere else. That is one reason that so many of us believe I can't change is because we've tried to change actions and we've tried to change the way we get out of bed or the time we get out of bed or the things that we eat. We've tried to change things without changing our thinking and we have had no change. Albert Einstein got this one right. Until we change our thinking, we can't change anything. And if we want to change our lives, we have to first change our thinking. But it brings a, a question that I think some of you are asking, especially like, why are we talking about this here and now in church? What has this got to do with anything? Some of you would say, what is this going to do to help me with the weight loss that I want to have or help me with spending less money or, or help me with, you know, whatever the issue is in your life? The reason we're talking about this in church is because we need to understand absolutely everything is spiritual. I only got one amen on that one. Everything in your life is spiritual. You may say, well, I want to lose weight and I want to exercise because I want to look better when I go to the Caribbean. See, that's the problem. You've just made it natural. The reality is it's also spiritual. Whether or not you look good to the Caribbean, that's a whole other issue. But here's what we need to know. This body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Excuse me, Holy Spirit. It's the only one you're ever going to get. You don't get a second one. It's kind of like NASCAR. You wreck the car, your day is done. And in NASCAR, it's really cool to watch the wrecks and pieces go flying everywhere, but it is not cool in life to watch the wrecks. When this thing is done, you're done. If you're not ready to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, too bad, because you're either going to hear it or not, because this is done. Therefore, the way you eat, the way you drink, the way you exercise is spiritual. You say, well, it's just, I just want to change my budget, man. I'm just struggling to stay on budget. Here's what you need to know. How you spend your money is spiritual. If you want to change your spending, it's not just so that you can save up for a larger TV so the game is cooler when you watch it. No, actually, all the money you have, every penny of it, has been loaned to you. You are a steward of it for God to advance his kingdom. Yes, he gives you a portion of it to enjoy life and to have a nice steak dinner, but every penny we spend will determine the direction of the kingdom. Therefore, how we spend our money and change how we spend our money is spiritual. You say, I don't want to watch that on the internet anymore or, or on TV anymore. And, and I want to make a change because I'm tired of getting caught by my spouse. Well, that's a perfectly natural thing. But the reality is the guilt and the shame that you feel is separating you from your experience with God. He hasn't gone anywhere, but the dirt gets in the way experientially. You see, changing what you watch on TV is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. 
That's why I'm not just sending you down the street to go and talk to a trainer who is really good at helping you make some practical changes or a life coach who is good at helping you make some practical changes. Here's what we need to know. Anything that you want to change about your life, it matters to God because it is spiritual. Everything you want to change about your life matters as much to God as it does to you because it is spiritual. So with that being said, what do we do with this today? Well, I want to first of all ask you to answer a question. It's not a question you're going to answer out loud. But before we can go on, I want everybody to have an answer. If you could change something, anything about your life, what would it be? If you could change something, absolutely anything about your life, what would it be? Some of us, we would jump up and shout it out right now. Others of us, we don't even want people to know we have that struggle in the first place. What would you change about yourself? Everybody here has something. There is nobody here who says, I am perfectly happy with myself in every single area of my life. If you are, let me just be the one to tell you, you need to make a change in the area of humility. Because there is absolutely something either about the way you pray or the way you eat or the way you spend or the way you forgive or the way you talk to somebody. or the... There's not a human still alive that does not need to become more like God. So every single one of us has an answer to the question. So does everybody have your answer? Again, you don't have to say it out loud, but you need your answer. And I'm going to walk you through the three things that need to change in your mindset. And the first one is to realize this. Number one, you must believe you can change. You must believe you can change. I started out with a story about my wife and I and the way that we want to look different in a swimsuit. Here's the truth you need to know. I actually can change. I can. I've had a trainer. I've worked at the gym. I've made the change. I've just gone back. I can change. For me, I just don't want to. Cheeseburgers taste better than a bowl of cold lettuce. And dark chocolate is one of the major food groups in my life. I just don't want to, but I can. Now, as funny as that is, though, that's not everyone's reality. For some of us, what we want to change, we truly believe we can't. We truly believe this is who we are and we're stuck. Let me ask you, do you believe you can change or do you believe you can't? If you believe you can't, you're probably going to cite something that has happened in your past. You're going to try to give me past experience. And although your past experience may be true, you try to diet and it didn't work. What you came to believe is not true. And that is that you can't change. And if you try again, you'll fail again. And so what we learned in part one that Greg taught us was when we believe something that's not true, the only answer is to get truth. And the only place we find truth is God's word. Let me show you. If you believe you can't change, let me show you what the true word of God says to you. Therefore, if anyone, anyone is in Christ, meaning they've made Jesus their king, their Lord and Savior, then he or she is a new creation. They are not who they used to be. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's a declaration. It's a promise. We're no longer going to hell. We are now going to heaven. We are no longer held accountable for the sins of our past. We are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been changed and we are being changed. And let me promise you this. Hear this. If your sin nature can change, your eating habits sure can. If your sin nature can change, the time you get out of bed can change. If your sin nature can change, your taste buds for cheeseburgers can change. 
if God can take us from someone who loves the world and hates him to someone who is learning to hate the world and loves him, then we, we can change. Then we can change. Which leads to the next thing. If you want to change, you need a plan for change. You need a plan for change. Now look, I know that you think I'm about to give you a really practical, like New Year's sort of thing, and actually I'm not. Because what you want to change requires a plan that's different from the person beside you. They want to change something different. So I'm not about to tell you about how to change your diet or anything else. I'm just going to tell you, you do need to plan because here's what Christians get wrong. We over-spiritualize way too many things. Well, pastor, I just wanted to make a change, so I prayed God would change me. He didn't, oh well. Well, I prayed when I went to the grocery store, they'd be all out of ice cream. And lo and behold, it was all still there, so I was helpless. <laughs> I, I, I told you, everything is spiritual, and I do help you pray. do hope you pray. But, you know, we also just need a practical plan based upon some practical scientific knowledge we learned. You know, like, if you want to make a change in your life, maybe about a habit. You want to change a habit. You do need to understand a habit is an actual thing that has a power based upon neurology and physiology. And if you want to change a habit, you can't just say, I'm not going to do that anymore. Again, I'm preaching a motivational sermon on change, so I don't want to like tell you you can't. But the reality is you're not just going to go, hey, I'll break that bad habit just like that. Probably not. Because you need to actually understand something about habits. You might want to get a book about habits. You might want to at least read a few articles on how habits work and how to reframe a habit and how long it's going to take you to do it a different way before the habit's not going to be the habit anymore. If you don't do that, your plan may fail. You may actually, if you want to lose weight, need to learn a thing or two about nutrition. My kids try to tell me that they're eating better because they are not eating cake and instead they're eating french fries because french fries are grown in the ground, they're potatoes. I'm glad some of you laughed because you actually get that french fries are not healthier than cake. But until you kind of understand some things about nutrition, you're probably not going to do well with that. And here's the reason I'm preaching about this. Because what happens is we try, we over-spiritualize, we fail, and we blame God. And then the devil wins because we blame God and we believe we can't change. So we stay the version of us that is further from God because it's God's fault we didn't change. So I'm going to move on because whatever plan you need, you're going to have to go and talk to somebody else, do a little research, get some practical understanding of how your body and your mind works if you want to change something. But you need a plan and do not over-spiritualize it. Which leads to the last one, you have the power to change. As much as I just told you, do not over-spiritualize making a plan. Hear my main point. Do not under-spiritualize the need for power to change your life. Because you don't have it. It does dwell within you, but it is not from you. It's from above. See, if Jesus is your king, then you have the spirit of Christ dwelling inside of you. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of El Shaddai, God Almighty, dwells within you. You do have the power to change. Whatever you think you want to be different about your life. Many of us would say, well, I just need a good plan. I just need self-control with a good plan. No. Because self-control does not come from a plan. You need self-control to work a plan. 
Self-control is not the fruit of humanity. Self-control is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The only fruit of humanity is indulgence, excess, laziness, and whatever your answer was to the question I asked you earlier that you wanted to change. That's the fruit of humanity. Where you are is the fruit of humanity. What you need is the power that dwells within you, and that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, self-control, among other things. You need the power that dwells within you. And here's what I can promise you. Whatever you want to change about yourself, the Holy Spirit wants to change it just as much as you do. Seriously, you have a partner in this. The Holy Spirit, the all-powerful partner that dwells within you, wants to change this about you as much as you do because he lives in here. If you can't bend over and tie your shoes, he's trapped in that motion. If, if you are bitter and angry and you don't want to talk to people, he's stuck with that emotion. If you can't get out of bed and pray to God, he's feeling the disconnect with you and praying for you. The Holy Spirit wants to change as much as you do. And that power dwells in you. About a year ago, we were taking a staff trip to a, a conference far away and we needed a bigger vehicle to fit all of us in. So we rented something and Eric and I went to pick it up and to bring it back here to the church building to pick up the rest of the staff. And when we went there to pick it up and as soon as I got in this car, I thought, oh my gosh, this is going to be a miserable trip for me. My personal experience is I'm allergic to tobacco. That's no judgment on anybody or whatever struggle you have. I'm just allergic to it. Like, it'll kill me. So that's just how that works if I were to try to do that. When I'm around it, it'll make my throat close up, my eyes water. And if I'm there long enough in a strong enough situation, I won't be able to breathe. And apparently the vehicle they gave us was, you know, last rented by a Marlboro salesman or something like that. I don't really know, like, uh, or at least a demonstration car. Hey, come in the car and check this out, you know. But um, so as soon as I opened the door of the car, but I didn't want to be like, a diva. Oh, the car is not good enough for me. So I was, I was trying to be humble as we just get in the car and drive away. We got maybe a mile or two before I realized this was not an issue of humility. It was an issue of stupidity because I was never going to make it to the conference. I was going to be at a hospital halfway somewhere in Alabama. That's where I was going to be in a hospital. They're going to go to a conference. Like, we can't do this. So I said, let's just go back. We got to go back. We got to get another car. What if they don't have another car? It's not an option to not get another car. We're going to get another car. As much as I refuse to continue in that car is how much the Holy Spirit would love to help you make the change you want to make. The Holy Spirit dwells in here. Whatever you don't like about yourself, God loves you. Don't misunderstand this sentence, but the Holy Spirit would love to help you change it just as much as you do, as much as you want to. The power to change dwells within you. Matter of fact, let me show you two passages just because I like to give you evidence for what I'm saying. It's out of Ezekiel where God says, I will give you a new heart. A new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the hard heart of stone from your flesh. I will put my spirit within you. I will cause you to walk in my statutes. I will cause you to be careful to obey my ways. I'm the one that's doing everything good in your life because I'm the power. He's the one that goes on. Philippians to say, for God is working in you. Not your self-motivation. Not any book you read on a self-help program. I mean, there are some great plans. Leave it in the plan category. It's important. But God working in you is where the power is coming from. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power. The desire, all those things that I should probably do something about that. That's the Holy Spirit's been whispering to you. 
But some of us have not taken it from the desire to the power. You have the power within you to make the change that will make you more like God in any area of your life, that will make you the vessel you want to have, the spender, the prayer, the forgiver, whatever change you want in your life. So I'm going to leave you with a very small point of inspiration, if I can, super practical. And it's only because I, I, as a pastor, I talk to a lot of people who are struggling, and so I've learned a lot about change. Because it's not always just give you a Bible verse. Sometimes it's give you a Bible verse and give you a piece of wisdom that helps you put the Bible verse into practice. And so I, I was reading a book for myself and for the ability to help others, and it's a, a tiny, tiny little book called A Life of Excellence. If anybody wants to read what I consider one of my top 10 books of all time, and, and very short and simple, anybody in here can read it in less than an hour, some of you less than 30 minutes. The premise of the book is nobody wants the broken life that they ended up with. If you go and ask them at 18 years old, what will your life look like? Nobody describes the broken life we end up with. So how do we get there? That's the premise of the book. But he gives one little piece of advice on finally making the change you want to make. And I think this is one of the simple things we miss. So here it is. Start small. I'm the kind of person that everything is go for gusto all at once. If I want to lose 20 pounds, I'm going to do it by tomorrow. Somewhere out there, there's got to be like a sweatsuit I can wear and a treadmill I can run and something about tomorrow. Man, I can do this thing. If I want to get closer to God, I'm going to be at the top of Mount Sinai by tomorrow. I mean, that's just the way this thing's going to be. And many of you are like me. You're a go for gusto, but we fail because we tried to take too big of a step at one time and then we just give up. So I want to give you some hope instead of giving up. Start small. He gives an example of somebody who wants to get up an hour earlier. And the reason I want to use this example is because at the beginning of almost every year, most Christians decide they're going to get up an hour earlier so they can actually do the one-year Bible reading, pray, stop putting their mascara on while they drive. But when you put your alarm for an hour earlier and Monday comes, snooze button, everybody, come on. Because you know you still got 51 extra minutes. Next time the snooze button goes off, you know you still got 42 extra minutes because you know this works in nine-minute increments, right? Everybody knows that. If not, now you know. For those of you not good at math, you just know, I got time. Just keep hitting the snooze button. And after about a week of this, or maybe three weeks, you finally go, why am I doing this? Because I'm just frustrating my last hour of sleep, and you move the alarm back to where it used to be, and you give up. So he gave a very simple idea, and when I read it, I thought, that's brilliant. It is so easy. I'm a fool. I haven't figured this out. Instead of trying to move your alarm an hour earlier, just try something really small. Set it for five minutes earlier. Five minutes for an entire month. Five minutes for an entire month. You know what will happen if you set your alarm for five minutes? You won't snooze because that will make you even later. It's nine minutes snooze, right? So you won't snooze. And you'll actually have time to do this. For those of you that are chaotic in the morning, the ability to just take a deep breath and knowing you're not actually late. The time to read one, just one Bible verse and say, good morning, God. Five minutes. And a month later, five more minutes. You get to take two breaths, read two Bible verses, have a little more of a conversation with God. 
If you do that every month in one year, you will have your one hour that you wanted and you wouldn't even feel the pain. And some of you who are like me, oh, but I got it all at once. A whole year to get an hour? That's for sissies. Let me just ask you this. How many of you have spent more than a year trying to make a change and you haven't gotten there yet? So, maybe starting small and playing the long game. Because you know, for me, it's not about changing by next week. It's about changing before I get to heaven. And I think most of us would say, we got quite a few years left. So let's play the long game and let's start small. And the last quote that I'm going to give you as we, as we leave is from uh, Craig Rochelle. And he's the pastor of the largest church in America. Brilliant mind. And he's really good at helping people do simple things. And here's his advice on changing. Because you're going to miss a day. Y'all know that, right? If you decide to get up early and pray, you're going to miss a day. If you decide to eat better, you're going to miss a day. So his thing is very simple. If you miss a day, don't miss two. If you miss two, don't miss three. If you miss three, don't miss four. Y'all know where that goes? If you find yourself in the middle of February missing 45 days, don't miss 46. See what I love about that recipe? is it's never-ending hope because you never call it quits. You just say, tomorrow, tomorrow I'm not going to miss. Play the long game from here to heaven because if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Here's what we've got to know. Change is a lifestyle, not a program to start your year. And this kind of change for life starts in your mind. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much that you have not left us where we were and you do not leave us where we are. God, I pray for anyone right now who doesn't believe that sentence, for anyone who has not seen your goodness. Maybe they've just been blinded to it because they focused on all that's wrong. I pray right now by your spirit, you will silence the enemy and you will cause them to see all the good that you have done, the change that you have made since the day they met you and the changes you made along the way. God, would you give us eyes to see how much you have already done and how far you've already brought us so that we'll have faith and hope to take the next step, to believe our best days are in front of us because our God is a good God. If you'll just stay in a place of prayer, I want to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. As we said earlier, all of these passages and promises about change are for those who are in Christ, meaning Jesus is their Lord and Savior, meaning you've changed you being king in your life for him being your king. You've given up living for your old ways to live for the life he has for you. In addition to that, you claimed what he did on the cross. He died for you so that you could be forgiven. He was raised from the dead so that you can have eternal life. We call it the free gift of salvation. And if you have never accepted and embraced this gift for your life, personally, I want to help you do that right now, wherever you are. Simply say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now, I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. In my simple prayer here today, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom? Amen. Would you all help me celebrate with them, everybody?